Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. For more details, check out faithcc.com.au. We hope you enjoy this message. Can I encourage you to really, you know, really grab hold of this prayer and fasting? It, it is always profound of what it does in, in people's lives and in the life of our church, uh, you know, as we seek God. You know, throughout my whole life, I've always been someone who's really believed in the power of prayer and fasting. I remember... You know, in the early days when I was a lot younger, doing 40-day fast. These days, I can't really go that far anymore. But, you know, it took me 40 days to get a revelation from God that I should marry my wife. I was, uh, you know, had to get a revelation because I was a bit thick-headed. And uh, Frank knew straight away, you know, as soon as I walked through the door, she saw the glow all over me. No, not really. (laughs) So... But I, I even remember, you know, when we were planning to move from Adelaide and saying to the Holy Spirit, what's the next season for us? And God challenged me to go on a 40-day fast. And, you know, many of you uh, who've been on this journey with us would know that it was in that journey that God gave me a dream. And I saw a dream of a church like this and working with a man that I later found out it was Pastor Alan Davies. And just, it's amazing how God goes before us when we actually set time aside to really seek his face. You know, the Bible says our war is not with flesh and blood. And I think sometimes in Western society, we just think that everything comes down to our emotions, everything comes down to the right opportunity and being in the right place, but we forget that beyond the physical world, there is a spiritual world. And, uh, you know, when we begin to tap into that and go after the things of God in those areas, it is amazing of what God can actually do. What I love about this this year is that we've actually done a journal for all of our kids. How cool is this? A devotional journey for all of our kids. And so Barry and the team have put that together. This is a great time for your kids to get consistent with seeking the Lord for themselves. Can I say this? One of the greatest things that your kid will ever do in life is to get their own personal revelation of the Lord Jesus. Not a revelation about religion, not following in their father or their mother's footsteps, but for they themselves to get a personal encounter with the Holy Spirit. Because I've worked this out with my kids. The Holy Spirit speaks a lot better to my kids than what I do. And when I fumble about my communication, when I'm trying to, you know, I didn't come from a highly communicative household. You know, you know the, the, my dad uh, says to me on the, the day before my wedding day, day before my wedding day, he comes up to me, dad, he goes, son, I need to give you some fatherly advice. I said, what's that? Pats me on the back and he says, just remember, you wear the pants, she doesn't. Thanks, Dad. But, you know, he just came from a generation that just thought completely different, you know. And I think sometimes in our own personal walk and our own parenthood, you know, we often only really, though I've never said that to my my kids, um, but we often just kind of just grab bits and pieces. But the Holy Spirit has a powerful ability to speak truth and life into your children's life. You know, I remember when one of my sons was about, I don't know, seven or eight years old, and he was at school, and he was getting frustrated because he couldn't get the basketball, you know, in the hoop, and all of his friends could. And he came home one day, and he said, you know, Dad, you know, I just can't get it in, and I get embarrassed, and it just doesn't work. And I said, well, the Holy Spirit can help you with that. He said, why? By like a, you know, controlling the ball. I said, no, the Holy Spirit can help you, right? Help so next time before you shoot the, the hoop, Say, Holy Spirit, help me. So before he shot the hoop the next day, uh, he, he, he comes the next day and he comes at the end of the day and he says, Dad, you won't believe what happened. I got the basketball and the hoop. I said, what happened? He said, well, I did what you said. He said, just before he said I was about to shoot it, he just uh, he said, a Holy Spirit, help me. And the Holy Spirit said to me, calm, breathe deeply, 
focus on the hoop. And he said, I did exactly what he said and I got the ball in. <laughs> now, I do believe in stuff like that. I believe the Holy Spirit has the amazing ability. Come on, who knows that? Yeah. Not just to be all spiritual, but just speak to your children about some of their very practical little concerns. The Bible says he cares for us so much that he knows every single one of the hairs on our heads. You know, so it's just really good for us to do that. So let me encourage you to grab one of these at the end of the meeting and uh, let's start for the next three weeks of journeying with God. Amen? And, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter what fast you do. Fasting is really about setting aside time and sacrifice to really tap into the presence of God. Let me just say this. If you're fasting but you're not spending time with God, you are wasting your fast. You got a lot time away every day to really seek the face of God. But I want to talk to you about this whole idea and just really speak to you, uh, just some practical things that you can believe for over these next three weeks. I was reading this uh, account in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. I don't know about you, but I read the Bible uh, throughout the year. And this particular verse in Jeremiah kind of popped up out of the blue. And I thought it was a great passage just to speak about this whole idea of the timeless principle of prayer and fasting. Now, Jeremiah 6, verse 16, he is prophesying on behalf of the Lord, and he says this, this is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is. Everyone say this after me, the good way. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Right? All that is good. And then it has this really unusual ending. But you said, we will not walk in it. It's a bit unusual, isn't it? I love what Jeremiah says here in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. He speaks of the ancient paths, the ancient way, the good way, the way that will bring rest to our souls. You know, there is an ancient way that the Bible often speaks about that has stood the test of time. Church, it works. Church, it's proven itself again and again. If anything, it helps and it strengthens our lives. And I think often with ancient things, when you hear them over and over again, there can be a tendency for us to either ignore them or play them down. Why? Because I think the problem with ancient paths or things that we have known for many years is that they are not new. And what I've realized about this generation is when it's not new, it is so easily forgotten and it's so easily ignored. And so many times, even in society, if you think about it, you know, we often talk about the new way of doing things and the new way that we should construct society. And, and let me just say this, I've realized this in the 50 years that I've lived on this earth, many times new is not better. You know, we would say that technology has helped our lives immensely, but I wouldn't say that I'm a lot calmer when it comes to technology. I'm a lot less stressed when it comes to technology. New doesn't mean better, and new is not often new. It's just been there before. And here Jeremiah is speaking to the people of Israel who are getting caught up in other new things, thinking that these things are going to bring a higher level of satisfaction to their lives. He's speaking to the children of Israel and he's saying, hey, listen, you're going in this direction and you're going in that direction. You're grabbing hold of this and you're wanting to do that, thinking 
that that's going to take you further in life, thinking that that's going to give you a greater sense of peace and vitality and energy throughout your life. And he challenges them, you are at a crossroad. Don't make the same mistake the generations before you have made. Go after the ancient ways. You know, the Bible here refers to things that are truly old. Uh, You know, Jeremiah wasn't talking about the good old days. He wasn't being nostalgic when he talks about the ancient ways. When the Bible uses the word ancient, it's talking about ideas and principles and concepts that are truly old. Things that go back to the beginning of creation. Sometimes it refers to things that have this sense of eternity on it. And I think when Jeremiah is talking about the ancient parts, what is he referring to? He's talking about the pathways of faith. He's talking about the pathways in your life that actually inspire faith. The pathways that actually strengthen your faith in God. He's talking about the old patriarchs that had walked those journeys of faith. People like Enoch, people like Abraham, people like Isaac, people like Moses. He's talking about people that have walked the ancient paths and have seen the blessing and the favour of God upon their lives. And when you read in the Old Testament, you will see that there were different men in different seasons with different purposes, doing different things, but they all had a same purpose. And it was a walk with God a walk that was strengthened and built through prayer, a walk that would pursue the presence of God, going after the things of God, seeking God's counsel and God's ways and God answers in his word. And Jeremiah makes the point to Israel. He said, these aren't new ways. These aren't fresh ways. These are old ways. But church, they are proven ways. There are ways that work in every season of our lives. There are ways that will never let you down. They are ancient ways that will build a resilience and a strength and a blessing in your life. There are ways that these are the ancient ways that will always be there to help you. And Jeremiah is making this point to Israel. You know, I was reading this article the other day just about medical breakthroughs. And obviously I'm not a doctor, but just reading some of the historical. And as you know, in the last hundred years, there've been tremendous advancements not only medical breakthroughs, but technological breakthroughs and breakthroughs in understanding the universe and so forth. But the writer of this article makes this particular point. They say that medicine just hasn't advanced in leaps and bounds just instantly, but it's accumulated over time. That one discovery leads to another discovery in slow succession. And new understandings begin to fade into existence. In other words, it is a discovery process where one thing leads to the other, that through discoveries, there are more discoveries about the body that are revealed and other discoveries and other discoveries and one thing is built upon the other. You know what I love about the Bible when it comes to being the Word of God? It reveals to us just a picture of God and His people and the discoveries that they made about God over thousands of years. And so when, it, when the Bible speaks about faith, well, you and I now get the completed Word of God. And we look at that. And we look at the Old and the New Testament. And we read about simple faith and strong faith and resilient faith. We get this idea throughout the Word 
that the word of thousands of years of men and women that have walked with God, discovery after discovery, have produced this wonderful book that gives us this complete revelation of what it means to actually live a life of faith. That the ancient ways have got substance. The ancient ways have got something behind them that is powerful. And here we see people throughout the Word of God that discovered a personal God, an empowering God, a God who loves them and who wants to deliver breakthrough in their lives again and again. And as they stuck to these paths, we see these men and women of God that lived extraordinary lives, not because they were different to you and I. The Bible says Elijah, he was a man just like us. He was no different. You know, if you read in the Old Testament, you see that Elijah you know, at times would, would, would be prone to depression. He'd be prone to great highs, but then he'd be prone to great lows as well. And the Bible says that he was someone that was very similar to you and I. Same emotional constraints, same weaknesses, same struggles, same often seasons where you doubt yourself and doubt the hand of God upon your life. But yet he was a man of faith. Yet he was a man that took hold of God at his word. And it was amazing how God used an ordinary man to live an extraordinary life. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is Genesis chapter 5 and verse 24. It speaks about Enoch. It's just a simple phrase. It says, Enoch walked faithfully with God and then he was no more because God took him away. Just this simple man having a simple walk with God and in that closeness of relationship, Church, listen, God did an extraordinary thing in Enoch's life. And in the ancient ways, it reminds us again that our walk with God is so incredibly powerful for us to live an extraordinary life. You know, Romans chapter 4 and verse 1 says, Abraham was, humanly speaking, this is in the New Living Translation, the founder of the Jewish nation. What did he discover? I love that. What did he discover about being made right with God. Throughout Abraham's life, there were discoveries that he got about God, revelations that God began to speak to him about, things they began to understand about the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And what I love about the New Testament, and we are living in New Testament times, we have those discoveries in the Word of God, those ancient paths that can bring blessing and favor into our world. I love what David writes in Psalm 119, verse 52. It says, I remember, Lord, your ancient laws, and I find comfort in them. And really, Jeremiah is saying to God's people, don't forsake those ways. Don't ignore those ways. Don't diminish those ways. Don't play those ways down for something that is new or something that is the latest thing that can grab your attention. Go back to those ways. Don't look for the ways that are unproven, the ways that don't work the ways that don't bring resilience for the long term. I've always had this philosophy. You know, we, we live in a generation where there's so much opinion. And I've often said this from this pulpit. You know, you not only have the news, but now you have the opinion about the news. And you have the opinion about the opinion about the news. You know, I, I subscribe to The Australian and I will read the news, but then I'll read the opinion about the news as well. And we live in so much generation with so much opinion. I don't care about opinion. I want to see what you believe in. Does it actually work? Does it actually work? Is it actually bringing peace to your home? Is it actually bringing stability to your family? 
you know, it's amazing how those latest social commentators, you know, their worlds are so messed up behind the scenes. I don't care what comes out of your mouth. I want to see the principles that you abide by, the things that you hold dear to, are they actually working in your own life? Do they hold your family together? Do they bring peace and blessing into your house? Or is there conflict? Come on, who knows what I'm talking about this morning? And Jeremiah is saying to these people, don't go for things that are unproven. Go to the ancient path. I think there's some things that we've got to be aware here. Number one, he talks about a crossroad. He says to them that you are at a crossroad in your own life. You can make a decision which way you decide to go. I think in life we do arrive at crossroads. Maybe today you are at a crossroad. Maybe today that there is a decision that you have to make. As I was preparing this message this morning, I felt a couple of things that the the Holy Spirit illuminated upon my heart. The first one is crossroads. That maybe you're in this place today, maybe this year you have to make some significant major decisions. Some crossroads, maybe with finances or maybe with significant long-term decisions in your own life. And what I love what the Bible says here in Jeremiah is that God says, look to the ancient ways. He said, stand at the crossroad and look. Stand at the crossroad and look. God is saying to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is saying to his people, he says, when you're at the crossroad, I want you to stop and consider. I want you to think. I want you to take a pause in the road and begin to ponder the ancient ways. It's really an idea of listening, looking, and being, uh, having powers of observation. You know, it's actually a powerful idea that in our season of prayer and fasting, it's actually good for us to take a pause in life, to actually look what is going on around us and allow the Holy Spirit to come and illuminate revelation so that we can actually make the right choice. I do believe this is for our church right now. I'm not asking you to work more. I'm asking you to think more. I'm not asking you just to go off and run after the next thing. But I'm saying that maybe this next three weeks of prayer and fasting, for you personally, and for you and your family, maybe for some of the life choices that you have to make over these next 12 months, that it's a time as God is saying to his people to stand at the crossroad and before you belter into those things, to stand back and say, Holy Spirit, will you speak to me? God, I want to consider the ancient past. God, I pray that you would just give me revelation. Yeah, I was reading this, other, uh, reading this story the other day about this Roman uh, officer who started a different type of strategy in engaging the enemy. And his name was Quintus Fabius Maximus Veruscuus. Quintus Fabius Maximus Veruscuus. What a name, hey? What a name. Now, he was a Roman statesman, and he was a general in the 3rd century BC. Now, he introduced a military strategy in defeating the enemy called the Fabian strategy. Now, you can look this up later on. Very fascinating. And the story goes like this, that when Fabius was dispatched to lead the Roman legions against a famous battle with an enemy called Hannibal, he did nothing. The very first thing that he did was not run forward, was not attack, was not get all flustered about it, but as he was charged to go against this particular enemy, he was really causing havoc for Rome. He was going throughout Italy and Greece, and he was just going nuts and, you know, killing people and so forth. And so they sent Fabius out to sort him out. 
And the very first thing that he did, he did nothing. He did not attack. He did not race out to drive the terrifying invader out of Italy and back to Africa. Now, to those who looked around, who saw him, because they recognized that, you know, we are the biggest in Rome. They looked around, they saw that his uh, 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 action of inaction was actually a sign of weakness. And most of Rome actually thought this guy's a coward. But in fact, it was actually part of Fabius' strategy. Hannibal the enemy was far from home. He was losing men to the elements. His supply lines were growing thin. And Fabius had this idea that if I could just wait and be patient, the enemy is actually going to go ahead and destroy himself. But some of his commanders couldn't handle that sense of pausing in the road. They wanted to go out there and just go after him. They believed the direct opposite was true. Go in, go after the enemy, wipe him out, and we're done. And so the story goes that while Fabius was attending a religious ceremony, they pressured his commander, Minicus, to go out and attack. And, well, that didn't go very well at all because Minicus, as they say, went straight into a trap and Fabius had to rush to his rescue. Even then, Minicus, in Roman days, was hailed a hero because he did something, but Fabius did nothing. And when his term ended, the Roman assemblies voted to abandon the Fabian strategy because they said it just didn't work. They said, we want more aggression. We're going to be in favor of more action. What you, you know, did didn't work. And so the next time they did a battle, they ignored his counsel and his advice. And this time in another battle, the Battle of Cannes, in which now the Romans attacked Hannibal, they nearly lost their entire army and there was such bloodshed. And now they could see that there was wisdom in the inaction. And it was actually a brilliant method of warfare. Fabius had been buying time had given his opponent a chance to destroy himself. And as he began to do that, he began to take the advantage. And while the most great Roman generals achieved these great titles at the end of great battles, Fabius was later given one title that will stand for many generations to come. It was called Fabius the Delayer. Fabius the Delayer. Now, so for some of those who love procrastination, let me just clarify. <laughs> Not Fabius the avoider, or Fabius the ignorer, or Fabius the procrastinator, but Fabius the delayer. A man who understood that a pause in the road to think things through can have a powerful effect on your future. To delay for a better outcome. To be more to have observation for a more strategic result, to listen for a better solution, watching for an opening for breakthrough rather than rushing in. You know, we have our God who speaks about these things. And there's this wonderful chapter further on in Jeremiah, we know this well, that talks about his strategy for our lives in Jeremiah 29 verse 11 to 13. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Come on, church, we've heard this many times before. It's an ancient path but it's a proven path. 
It's a path that works in our lives. You know, the word plan, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. You know, the word plan is the word that means a strategy. Listen, God has got a strategy for your marriage. God has got a strategy for your children. All you parents in this place today, they get worried about your kids. God has got a strategy for your children. Listen, some of you business guys, God has got a strategy for your business, right? It means a plot and a purpose. I love what the the Strong's uh, Dictionary says. It means a curious work. Don't you love that? A curious work. Some of you, as I look around, you're, you're just, you're a curious work. Right? You're a bit of a curious work. You are unique. Curious work. Just a curious work. Have you ever wondered why is this happening? Have you ever wondered why things aren't working out the way that I thought they would? Have you ever thought, you know, I had a plan and I had a purpose, but I love God and I'm serving Him, but it just doesn't seem to work out the way that I thought? Could it maybe that maybe God has got a curious work, an unusual work, a work that is going to blow your mind? God is the master strategist. You know, I love what it says in the book of Joshua. I was prophesying this over someone a while back. And, it, you know, in the book of Joshua, the walls came down in Jericho, and it's a major miracle and such a significant feat. And yet, out of all the battles, this was a curious battle, wasn't it? This was an unusual battle because, you know, the, uh, the, the people that were trained for battle didn't go out first, but the praise and worshipers went out first. And yet, God used a curious method to defeat the enemy. And sometimes if we want to tap into the presence of God in our lives and get His strategy and His plan, because His plans are not our plans, His plans are higher than our plans, His plans are unusual compared to our plans, sometimes we have to stand back and sit and wait for God to do His curious work in our lives. I know the plans that I have for you. Maybe at your crossroad, maybe at your crossroad, God is doing a curious work. I love this and I finished with this. Musicians come. Jeremiah says it's the good way. He says it's the ancient way, but it's the good way. And he clarifies the good way by saying it's the way that brings rest to your souls. You see, it's not only an ancient way, but it's a way that has proven, been proven the test of time. It is a good way. He says, ask where the good way is. Not a bad way, not a way that is going to defeat and hurt you, but a good way. You can ask what the good way is and you will find rest for your souls. You know, you're going to think about that phrase all this week, the good way, the good way, the good way, the good way. You know, you and I, we know this as Christians, that God provides a good way. We know that, you know, when we ask Him for a piece of bread, He doesn't give us a stone. We understand that God loves us and we, we get that. But what is the measurement of the good way? What's the end result, as I said before, of the good way? Jeremiah clarifies here. He says, you will find rest. You will find rest for your souls. And really, Israel, with all their strategies and finding new things and reaching out and trying this and trying that, the reality was there was no rest for their souls. There was no sense of contentment. There was no sense of personal peace. There was no sense of 
I'm in God's plan and purpose for my life. I, I have to say this, church, one of the greatest measurements in life is not whether you are wealthy, not whether you've achieved everything that is in your heart, but I think one of the greatest measurements in life is that your soul is restful. Your soul is restful. I believe people spend millions of dollars, build careers in the hope that at the end of that, they can find rest for their souls. We look at around the world today, some of the most famous people in the world, there is no rest for their souls. We have princes and princesses moving from England to Canada and just to find rest for the soul. We just have people just trying crazy things just to have rest. And yet Jesus offers us rest. He says, with the good way comes rest. You see, not with the good way comes a burden. See, the Pharisee said, if you want to tap into God, there's a burden that you have to carry. But Jesus said, my burden is light. He said, I'm going to give you rest for your souls. Paul says in the New Testament that He's understand, he understands the power to be content. He's talking about a rest. And I will say this very bluntly, you will find rest if you pursue the things of God. You will find rest for your souls. Some of us here this morning, our soul is not at rest. If anything, it's the direct opposite. Let me say this this morning, God does not want you and I to live that way. Some of us are agitated in our soul. Some of us have anxiety in our soul. Some of us, no matter what we achieve, it's never enough. I've been reading this book about when is enough, enough. And for every motivated person, I'm a motivated person, every motivated person, it's just a really great thought. When can you get to a place where enough is enough? Because enough will never, ever satisfy your soul. It will never bring peace to the soul. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. To stay up to date, check us out at our website, faithcc.com.au.